0: Chances are, if you're listening to this podcast, you have at least one Star Wars book that influenced your life. I know I have way more than one. Well, in our new venture as a nonprofit literacy organization, we are working to bring Star Wars books into schools and classrooms. Right now, we're running a silent auction fundraiser where you can not only support this endeavor, but get some sweet signed Star Wars books and memorabilia. It's a perfect holiday gift for that scruffy nerf herder in your life, even if that's you. All the links will be in the show notes, and this is important— every single penny donated will go towards the books there will be info on how to participate in the silent auction and also if you want to just donate directly to us so thanks in advance and uh, enjoy the show
1: i'm Zoraida cordova and you're listening to the Clash and sabers network
0: a long time ago
1: in a galaxy far far away this is the story of star wars You can read along with me in your book. O is for Obi-Wan Kenobi. All rebel fighters met at fleet headquarters to plan their attack. Princess Leia addressed them.
0: Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No, I am your father. Hello. I am C-3PO, and you are about to listen to the story of Another Star Wars. Another chapter is here. Welcome to Don't Burn the Sacred Text. I am one of your hosts, Brandon, and I am here with my host. She is cooler than Ahsoka meeting baby Sabine in the Siege of Mandalore, because I oh, can't get that out of, out of my head. I need it to happen. Just like I need to talk to this person, it's Lindsay. Oh,
1: man, oh, man. You know what, though? I have to say... I. I don't think I deserve it today. I had to leave Galaxy's Edge the night before The Rise of Skywalker opened for stupid work.
0: You know what? There are are things that it's worth going homeless for, and that might be one of them. Just for a little while.
1: I I regret the decision. I really do. Was it...
0: Did you know that the the ride was opening and it was just happenstance? Or you were like, you already knew going into it, you were missing out?
1: So they didn't announce it was open when I booked the trip. So I booked the trip to come home December 4th. Um, one of my good friends was also down there. Also, Michelle is down there today.
0: Yeah. Um, How cool is that? But
1: my friend, my friend Alyssa was like, just extend the trip one day, move your flight. She's like, stay with me and my husband. And then we'll all go, we'll get up at like 3am on the 5th and we'll go check it out. So I had it in my head, like I was going to, and of course work got in the way. So I told myself, you know what, if like any one of these three contracts come in on Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday, that's it. I'm doing it none of those contracts. Oh, I hate that. <laughs> I was out. So it was one of those like I sat there yesterday and I was like, "Do I do it? Do I be an adult and I I had to make the right responsible decision?"
0: Well, you're old so now too. Yeah, yeah. You're like 30. You're like really an adult.
1: No. I don't know I if know. I
0: if I can just say your age like that. <laughs> <laughs> It's all it's all downhill from here. I I, I kind of get that because I just bought my tickets for uh, or excuse me my plane tickets for celebration and I'm missing what like three days of work for it, which is is totally fine. Um, but coming back on Sunday, I was like, do I want to come back on Sunday or maybe I come back on Monday? But I ended up just getting tickets it's for Sunday. It was hard, but honestly, not that much happens on Sunday. And I think with just everything that's going on for me in those literal like sixty days from getting married and going to Europe and then going to celebration and hopefully doing the podcast stage, uh, you know, doing a meetup, doing a fundraiser, doing a book dr- like all of that stuff. I was like, I think I'm gonna be pretty much dead by then. So I- I'll just.
1: You might need a nap somewhere in the middle. Uh, Sleeps for
0: wimps. Who who sleeps anymore? Um, (laughs) Speaking of fundraiser, Lindsay, guess what? What? On our fundraiser, which you can find on 32auctions.com slash clashingsabersror, we are, at the time of this recording, halfway to our fundraising goal on our auction.
1: Yes, there we go. So we are, what, four days in with 25 to go?
0: Yeah, yeah. And we've got uh bids on almost every item. But still, like, you can get in there if you're listening right now. Get in there with a bid. Check out the link in the show notes. Uh I mean, you can get this stuff for some good prices. Um, and every single penny that we get is going directly to books for the classrooms. I'm covering all the shipping costs. Um, all that stuff is, is taken care of. So if you donate $35, then you are getting $35 worth of books, which I kind of put it into perspective when I woke up the first night and we had $40 uh, bid across our items. And I did the the math in my head that that's like $3 a book, $40. That's like a lot of books. I don't, I'm not a math teacher, but that's like 12 to 15 books depending on, on how much each one is for classrooms. So if we can get up to you know our, our $300 goal, um, then we are really wanting to be able to spread it across multiple classrooms to get 10 to 12 books into to three or four different classrooms. So make sure you check that out because it is super exciting. Um, we are technically over our goal. We're actually at $170 because our good friend Bria donated um, without doing the auction. Of course, Bria of uh, Iden Versio fame. And so, yeah, we're we're halfway to our goal. It's a little
1: oh, overwhelming. Priya, thank you so much. And I feel like maybe we, uh, we got to set our sights a little higher with the way this is going. But there really are the most incredible items up for auction. And I know I was a little disappointed when we as a group decided we couldn't bid on anything ourselves because there are some things I really, really want.
0: Um, Hey, I'm just saying, if I have to live in the same house as two Claudia Gray signed books that (laughs) I'm not allowed to take, that I'm not allowed to hold and touch and smell, whatever, it's getting weird. But if I have to do that, you, you can last without bidding on it.
1: All right, I guess that's fair.
0: Distract yourself by going to Galaxy's Edge for the 64th time.
1: All right, that's a good idea. That should do the trick.
0: Speaking of, so but this is your what your wow. second or third trip to Galaxy's
1: Edge? It's my second one, yeah.
0: What uh, what new things did you notice going on there?
1: You know, it was it was really fun because the first time I was there, you know, you're taking everything in, and I don't know if it's that I noticed it or there really were more of the actors and the first order uh, stormtroopers out. But this one, it was like every time I turned around, there were two to four more stormtroopers. Ray was running around. Vimarati was running, running around. Every single time you turned the corner, there was something new there. And watching the way they interacted with fans was awesome. They had a ton of fun with my sister. But watching how they were with kids was just remarkable. Ray, especially, running around with kids, um getting them to hide from the first order. It was, it was fantastic. And I got it. I got it handed to my sister. She not the biggest star Wars fan. So I was worried how she would kind of embrace it. Cause you know me, I went in and I was so deep into it. As soon as I go in, I'm using like, you know, bright suns and, and good trade whenever I bought something (laughs) and, and I I like naturally stepped into it. But so much is because we do things like read Black Spire. Um, so, you know, we, we keep up with it. We kind of get that this is the way that they talk. And for us, it's not that weird when someone asks things like, you know, do you have your credentials? Do you have your credits? Um, but my sister, I, I'll give it to her. She tried and she did fail miserably. So these were some of the highlights from when she tried to fully embrace what it meant to be from Beto. She, all right. She was ordering blue milk and she wanted rum in it. So someone asked for her credentials and she just froze and stared at them and goes, oh, I don't work here. you're, You're... your ID. <laughs> so she's all flustered. She hands up her ID and then they go, okay, that's, that's 14 credits. She goes, Oh, I only have one ID. And they look at her again. They're like, no, for $14. Oh <laughs> so, so then I guess she goes up later and she, she really liked the, the blue milk with the rub. So she goes up and she goes, can I please have an adult blue milk extra adult? Oh, my God. <laughs> goes, do you want that with a rum? She, so she said yes, and then she, she scurries on back to me. And I don't know what happened, but she pulled me aside real quick, and she goes, okay, I just found out you don't have to bow to the employees.
0: <laughs> what? <laughs> oh
1: my God. So then, though, the, the time she was, I think, the most proud of herself, we were waiting in line at Savi's, and, you know, instead of saying, you say till the spire and she's so proud of herself because she's finally going to do it and she kind of like looks at me and she looks back at the person working there till the shire
0: oh my then, god
1: number one that's lord of the rings number two you don't even like lord of the rings
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh man
1: so I'll, I'll give it to her she did her best
0: see the problem is she tried she has to do or do not
1: there you go that's where she
0: made her mistake it it all would have corrected it right there that's hilarious i guess it's kind of cool to to see some of these things through the eyes of somebody who's not a fan and see what kind of things like get them excited or you're right we just kind of know these things um like i use poodoo and i'll say like oh that's a bunch of poodoo and the kids will, like, look at me, and then they're like, oh, I know what you're saying. And I'm like, yeah,
1: poodoo. <laughs> Have they started saying it too yet? Uh,
0: sometimes. Sometimes. I, I got to work Maybe. on it a little bit more. Um, most of the time when I'm saying poodoo, I'm trying to bite my tongue from saying something else. So, you know.
1: spare fair. I- oh, care best. I,
0: I-, I really am trying to-, to get myself to say care best. You know what I am doing and I've become quite proficient at, which is – you know a very me thing to do is the uh, lando salute the little two finger Ooh. yeah yeah i that's
1: a good one
0: i got to say i'm pretty good at it
1: that's a really good one all right i like it yeah i'm going to i'm going to try to work some of these more into my day to day life
0: it's just nice you know you're just like ah oh, that's great i feel suave you, you can't you can't do the Lando salute and not just feel like a big deal, you know? it's like it's just confidence booster. It's just a daily confidence booster just sprinkled throughout your day.
1: I like it. I'll try it,
0: so I have been reading the uh, original trilogy original trilogy. I can do the English,
1: oh, yeah, you caught something, didn't you?
0: Yeah. so. I wanted to read, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you know, I I hadn't until this point read the original trilogy novelizations before. And I I honestly just hadn't realized that I hadn't read them. You know, I know the story so well, I just assumed I had. And so I've been reading through them. It's been really interesting to see because, of course, the books were coming out before the movies at this point and not like now where they go through and they kind of they fix the big things that that are different from film to, to novel so you get kind of a a little bit of a glimpse of George Lucas's not necessarily original direction, but one of his earlier visions of the film. And for a New Hope, it was it was I mean pretty much same beats and everything like that. There was some extended conversations uh, that I think just in general cutting down the wordiness um, was was pr- more effective. But there was a a something that just blew my mind in the return of the Jedi novelization, which is what I'm on now at one point, ladies and gentlemen, at one point, Ben and Owen were bros. And I don't mean dude bros. I mean, they were brothers like actual brothers. It was Owen Kenobi.
1: That is, you know what? And on one hand, it's so weird but it kind of makes more sense, you know. If you're gonna hide, uh, if you're gonna hide a kid from his father, why would you be like, "Let's let's go home"?
0: Well, I I, I guess there's a couple reasons why I'm like mm, it wouldn't work. Number one is part of the the flaw of the Jedi in the prequels is they're disattaching from families um, and they're disconnecting from emotional attachments while trying to have emotional attachments it was it's a very weird dynamic so if you if you throw owen in there as ben's brother like it it has to change that narrative to some extent you know like um yeah. do, you know did ben know or did obi-wan know before and if he didn't know why does he trust him all of a sudden i mean it's weird enough that he trusts owen but at least owen you know from the attack of the clones novelization we know owen considered shmi his mother um too so you know he there's that emotional attachment there but i just think man it really would have i don't think it's canon shattering but it does it's gonna have that that would have an impact on the prequels like you have to have a little bit of a different narrative going into the prequels if in the original trilogy you present the jedi as not only having families but knowing their families or i guess knowing their families having their families but what do you think about that?
1: You know what I think is probably a little skewed now after uh, Dooku Jedi lost because just seeing the way that knowing his background really helped Dooku fall to the wayside a little bit more. Th- stories like that make it more difficult to wrap your head around. Um, but I guess if if we for the past, you know some people 42 years, but you and I for the past 20 years that we've been fans of this this saga, if we grew up thinking this was the norm and this is just the way it is, we wouldn't be challenged by it. But we've been so trained at this point to just think, oh, okay, so Jedi family, no, can't do it. So I, I don't know, it's hard to... Well, really come up with the right answer just because we are so trained in this one way and in this one narrative
0: and also you know part of of Anakin's fall is having to keep his family and his attachments to his family a secret so you know Mm -hmm. it that has to change something too like you at least I mean I think Honestly, if George wanted to tell the story the way he told it in the prequels, he would have done it anyways and just let other people figure out how to explain away the whole brother thing. But if we're talking like strictly sticking to to canon, um, yeah, I don't know. It's crazy. It's crazy to think about the, the different directions that Star Wars could have gone, you know? Um, yeah. mm-hmm. We actually just watched uh, last night on Netflix. I know there's still stuff on Netflix that's worth watching. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's called The Movies That Made Us. I don't know if you've seen... Have you seen the series The Toys That Made Us? They did the Star Wars one.
1: Oh, I've never heard of The Toys That Made Us, but I've heard of The Movies That Make Us. Okay, I haven't so, had the chance to watch it yet, though.
0: So Toys That Made Us is... You definitely... I, I was, find it all fascinating because it's a lot of 80s stuff, and 80s are, is my jam. But um, the first episode is, is about Star Wars, and, and you definitely should check that out. But The Movies That Made Us is a new series, and we watched the one about Home Alone last night because... I mean, obviously. Interesting facts uh, to do with Star Wars. Number one, that movie almost didn't get made. I'm not going to spoil how because it's a really interesting story. But the, I guess, 12 weeks or 14 weeks that it was number one in the box office, it made $264 million. Mind you, it cost 14.7 to make, so they were banking. But... Two hundred and sixty-four dollars, two hundred sixty-four million dollars. The only two other films in that category at that time, E.T. and the original Star Wars.
1: No way. Yes. No way.
0: Isn't that insane? That's not. Did you ever think that you would say Home Alone and Star Wars in the same breath? Other than John Williams. No way. And you know... I would... You know what it was that, that sent them over? Even the filmmakers were like, this is the thing that sent us over? John Williams. Oh, at least they can admit to that. <laughs> no, they did. They said it completely changed. It, it's very much what George said, that that John was the oxygen that he made. John, like I'm on first name. John, baby. Uh, It was the <laughs> oxygen of the story. You know, is it... it they feel like like we had a really good Christmas movie, um, and then honestly, they they joked about bringing John Williams in, and then they kind of like looked at each other and like, I guess we'll try. Like, so I don't know. They shot him an email before there was email, wrote him a letter, and <laughs> sent it by owl. I don't know how that works. Oh, uh, definitely
1: by owl. Yeah,
0: for sure. And so yeah, John Williams comes in and and so saves not even even saves the movie that's not the right way to say it but he kind of makes the movie he puts that final stamp of it's not just a good christmas movie but it's a a good movie that belongs in the same tier apparently as et and star wars
1: star wars wow which is is basically a
0: star wars movie
1: well that's if you had asked it like trivia style like here's the the year the time frame you know he the, the first two movies in this category are star wars and then et what's the third one i would have put like jurassic park up there you know i never ever would have gone to home alone
0: yeah i mean now you know with with making a billion dollars being the big thing like 264 million dollars doesn't really sound like that much so when they were presenting it i was kind of like all right, that's like what Ant-Man made opening weekend, a little bit more. It took you 12 weeks to do it. Like that's pretty good for the time, yeah. But yeah, when you when they put it into the context of Star Wars yeah. and ET, it's crazy. Crazy how things could have been different.
1: Oh, what a world.
0: What a world. All right, so We haven't even talked about it yet. We're talking Force Collector today. This is kind of my free-for-all show where I just kind of like don't worry about structure too much. So welcome to my my fun house. We're talking Force Collector. And Lindsay, I've got a lot of thoughts. But I want to get your first impression before I muddle your brain in metaphors and melancholy. What did you think of this book?
1: All right. I, I should shock no one that I really enjoyed this book.
0: What you know, my, I
1: know, me enjoys Star Wars. Um, it was it was a nice little story. Um, I like that it is bringing certain elements back into the forefront. And I know I said this to you, but my biggest and most immediate takeaway was: there is no way we are getting this story right now. And Jedi Fallen Order, both of which have to deal so much with, how do you even say, it? is it psychometry, psychometry?
0: I think it's psychometry, that's how I always say it.
1: All right, we'll psychometry. say psychometry. But the, the, the ability to touch something and feel it through the Force, the way Quinlan Voss could, there's no way we are bringing this back now so close to Rise of Skywalker. And for that to not be a big component in Rise of Skywalker, I think that they are dropping these continuous stories with this element one after another for a reason. That being said, I do think that's really the only big tie-in we're going to see with this to um, Rise of Skywalker, at least directly. But I thought it was—I thought it was a really good story. There were some nice little characters. Um, for me, it was a little tough at first that somehow every single thing we found and every story that we got related back to the Skywalker's and back to Kenobi. It's like it's it's a cool concept for a story because we can see how big the galaxy really is, but it's it's just being tied back to this one pivotal family. Um, but I think that having Mas in here the way that they did and having her explain this is the big story it's not necessarily your story it was a beautiful beautiful way to transition into the deeper theme and the deeper aspect of the story
0: well okay so two things there one you, you know, you talked about Carr and it not being his story, which I found really compelling because I think a lot of times in Star Wars, we're thinking, like, how does this feed the the bigger narrative? Um, and one of the reasons we both like Crash of Fate is it didn't. You know, it was just kind of nice to kind of take a refresh. And that's what I felt like for three quarters of this book until we, we got to the end. Um, it felt very Lost Stars where it's attached, but, you know, if these characters aren't they're doing that it's not really going to affect much but i'm kind of wondering you know we hear kylo ren tell ray in last jedi you know you don't have a place in this story i'm wondering could we could we say the same thing for ray as for car that this isn't my story and and i say that not necessarily you know the sequel trilogy because obviously that is her story But she's trying to find her place in the Skywalker story. Maybe the point of her journey is that it isn't her story. She has to make her own story and her own venture.
1: I like the thought, but I'm really leaning more towards Rey is the culmination of all these other stories. You know, Luke says it in the trailer, a thousand generations live in you now. So I think it's, it's a little bit of the the two and I wish I knew music and understood music a little bit better to have a nicer analogy. You know, maybe it's like the the crescendo. This is the culmination, but it's not necessarily the very end.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I just really like, I'm thinking a lot about rise of Skywalker and I'm really hoping that, that Ray does something that goes in her own direction Um, and I I think that message kind of that car learns is at least something that will connect. Maybe, maybe not directly as in like going off and doing your own thing and letting Kylo Ren just do whatever. But yeah, I like, I I like Ray as the culmination and, but I do think she has to figure out, you know, he, Luke says, this is your fight now. You know, she's got to figure out her own way to go back to what you were talking about with the psychometry. I have a big question about that because when Carr goes and touches the object that gives him the vision of basically the whole Star War, it's like it happens in a matter of seconds very much like Ray's force vision, but then he knows it like, I mean, like a Muslim knows the Quran. Yeah, it's like, it's insane. He knows it inside and out. So... My question is, do force visions transfer knowledge? Is a force vision basically like for lack of a a better analogy, is it like a computer download? Like you're downloading, you know, this new document and now you have it in your computer and you can refer back to it whenever you want because I always got the impression that force visions were were fleeting.
1: I don't know because Quinlan and Voss seemed to really have control over it and to be able to use it however he needed to or could in Jedi Fallen Order Cal Kestis seems not quite at the same level as Quinlan Voss but certainly more in control of it and that he can gather a lot of these stories pretty easily i think it and this was kind of the beginning of the book as well you know car is getting used to these abilities still and he's trying to figure out exactly how it works so i think it's the more that you train yourself the more you're able to get out of it and then also of course probably the um object's connection to the force the stronger it is the more information it is probably capable of telling you
0: yeah that would make sense because that would kind of Give credence to why the lightsaber was able to show possibly the future. Well, definitely the future to Rey, because we see what happens on uh, Starkiller, at least a, a part of it. I'm just like fascinated by them putting all of these vision things here. You know, like it's definitely, like you said, it's definitely important. And the fact that we have this story coming out right before Rise of Skywalker and we have. Things like Vader's mask being present. We have a dagger that looks very much like the Mortis dagger, whether it is or not. It definitely at least is is something historical because it has a very ancient look to it. We have, you know, all these remnants of the Rebellion, Ray with her helmet, um, the lightsaber, all of these things that are, are coming through. I'm just like, how is it going... I'm at the point now where, like, I'm not even watching the TV spots, and I'm like, "How are they going to fit everything into this movie?" So
1: I know it'll be I know. interesting.
0: It'll be interesting to see what kind of role it has and whether it's more of like a Horcrux type thing, um, where, like, like in uh, in Deathly Hollows, where Ron is destroying, um, I think it's the pendant, but I could be wrong on that. But basically, like, it gives him a vision of. Like Harry and Hermione together. Like, is it going to be a situation like that where maybe Palpatine is able to manipulate the Force visions or something of that nature?
1: I think, I mean, time's going to tell. Yeah. We'll know two weeks from recording this, actually, exactly two weeks from oh the time of recording this. I know, to the hour. Um, but let's dive into some of those some of those visions Carr has and what it means for him personally and what it means from the Jedi. What did you kind of think of Carr himself as just a character
0: i I thought he was pretty interesting um I mean he was basically your you know average disgruntled teenager um I I like that he went on his own hero's journey. I found it really powerful, and this is something that they're doing in the new canon that I'm appreciating a lot more. They're they're making them go on their own journeys, and and you don't have to end up a Jedi or a Mandalorian or a Sith or just this one thing. Um, I don't... ah, I would definitely read another story with him, but it's not a character where I'm like, oh, man, I hope he shows up even in the animated shows um i i think he kind of served his purpose in this book uh and
1: yeah he was pretty complete yeah
0: he kind of had a complete arc what about you what did you think of him
1: you know i liked him for me he really wasn't the, the big kind of takeaway oddly enough of the mo- of the movie god of the book um i think you know maze was kind of my favorite just because she was so real she was so relatable and i i think i said it to you when i first started reading i was like this was the the first book in a long time that was just like oh this was me and my friends i would say the closest other thing we've had was crash of fate where it was like oh i really see my one very 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 specific friend as this one character it wasn't little bits and pieces it was just you know my friend John was this character, whereas, you know, one of my other friends was Maze. And it was it was an relatable teenage story. Um, and one of the things, though, I really did like about Carr was even though he is going on his own hero's journey, and even though he does have this really complete arc, it's not necessarily what we typically say. Typically, would we would see here is the 17-year-old kid. He has force abilities. He is going on this journey to become a Jedi himself. And I like that story. It's a good story, but we've kind of seen it before in a few different ways. But this time, it was just here's the 17-year-old kid. He's trying to figure out what the Jedi were and if they were real and why he has this connection to them. So that was, I thought, a really interesting kind of twist or turn that it took uh, just because I don't know when I, when I first started reading the book, I thought I knew exactly what the plot was going to be. And I was pretty surprised when it wasn't.
0: Well, the reason for liking those characters is very simple. It's because they're Ray and Kylo. Go on. Okay. You ready for this? I'm about to drop some knowledge. Buckle up, baby.
1: Okay.
0: So, from my reading of the text, at least in a metaphorical sense, Maze is Kylo and Carr is Ray. So you have Maze. Yes. She's looking for a connection. She's angry, sad, and lonely. And she's First Order. Then you have Carr. He's the Jedi that shows her her way out or his way out of that darkness. But who also struggles with his own or her own destiny. That is Ray. almost to aT.
1: OK. So then, do you think this is just kind of the same story in a more microscopic way?
0: To an extent? Um, I think a lot will depend on what the actual plot of Rise of Skywalker is and to what extent these objects and psychometry, psychometry plays in the overarching story. But I definitely think that it is a book that is trying to prepare us for not necessarily an ambivalent relationship, but... You get the impression that Maze and Car are going to end up a thing, but you don't necessarily see it. And I think for most of Rise of Skywalker, or possibly all of Rise of Skywalker, that's the direction they're going to end up going. But I think more than anything, it was a matter of showing that empathy helps, that empathy is important, because car feels that empathy for for Maze and the situation that she's in and and kind of how she feels abandoned by her father like <clears throat> kylo ren and that is what pulls her out of the kind of darkness that she's in and then she is able in turn to empathize with car and his situation and come up with a plan that is able to to help them, to to basically, you know, bring the book to a close. So I think you could get something very similar in Rise of Skywalker where Rey is, is struggling and you have Kylo being able to show empathy to her because he sees her slipping to the darkness and that is what is able to redeem him or bring him back to the light. Because I think we're definitely going to see Rey... I don't think we see a full turn to the dark side, but I think we're going to see a very Luke-like, you need to slow your roll a little bit there. And that's kind of Maze is able to do that for Carr when he gets a little overzealous.
1: I could kind of see the comparison then in terms of their relationship with each other and having that empathy, because I really did feel that empathy more so that Maze had for Carr and seeing something that no one else really could see in him and then being the kind of person to pull that out and make it more dominant in him. However, while I can definitely see the comparisons between Carr and Ray and trying to figure out their abilities itself, trying to figure out their their place in the story, I would say I would challenge you more on the Maze and Kylo connection because Maze to me was more of a rebellious teen shouting and pouting until she had her parents' attention. You know, what, I, I don't think What I'm do you wrong. think Kylo's I mean,
0: been doing?
1: Not to that extent though. Because I mean I, I like the scene at the end towards the end where Maze sits her parents down and she's like, you know, you've been telling me to do all of this stuff, but how am I going to prove to you that I've learned my lesson if you don't give me the chance? Like that is a conversation I would have sat my own parents down when I was that age and had the same exact conversation with them. Whereas Kylo though, at this point, like, I don't think he's necessarily trying to prove something to his parents or anyone else in his life. I think he's past that point, you know, maybe, maybe, It's what he was like when he was a kid. But I think his motivations are are much more complex and much deeper than what we see from Maze.
0: Well, I, I would agree that they're deeper and more complex. Like, this is a very simplified version of the story. But when I was at my therapist this last week, we talked about the wounded child and how... There, you know, there's that person inside of you that's always going to need that validation that you might not get from your parents. And like, honestly, I zoned out for a minute. She, I, she said some other things, but I was thinking about Kylo Ren. Um, it was a very expensive conversation in my own head about Kylo Ren. But I, w- <laughs> I couldn't help but make that connection of that wounded child that is within him that, sure, he's now got Rey in the situation and the whole galaxy literally in his hands, but at the end of the day, he's trying to prove something to his parents who, I mean, from his point of view, didn't believe in him. Han was always off doing his own thing and felt like a terrible father, kind of like Maze, her father, and Leia was leading the Republic, and, and I don't blame his fall on them because he made his choices. Just like I don't blame Anakin's fall on Obi-Wan, he made his choices. But at least part of that motivation was the wounds that he got from Leia sending him away to Luke, you know? She was basically, to him, saying your problems are not that impor- as important to me as the problems of the galaxy. And to to a kid the age that he would have been when he turned. Like, that's a very harmful narrative to create in his own mind. And I think you kind of have the same thing here with Maze. it just a little more directly stated of how her father leaving her all the time. And sure, he's out there. And sure, she knows him. And sure, there's remnants of him around. But he's not there, you know? He's very... Hands off, which is is the point where Leia got to, despite it being the best of intentions.
1: It's so here's where I don't necessarily disagree with you that this is what happened to Kylo. It's just that we don't know it yet. We don't know enough about his turn, why he did what he did to say this is definitely the comparison to make.
0: What about what Leia says in Force Awakens? That's when I lost him. That's when I lost you both.
1: That's from her point of view, though. We can never, not we can never, we just don't know Kylo's intentions just yet. So I don't really know if Maze is the simplified reflection of that. I, I definitely see the comparison between him and Rey and the way that they empathize with each other and the way that they can pull this out of each other. But I don't know to say that his character is so much like Maze. That's that's where I struggle, just because we don't know yet. You know, I don't know if we will know until the end of the Charles Soule Rise of Kylo Ren comic run, or even after that. I think his turn to the dark side, though, is way more complex.
0: Oh, I agree. I'm not disagreeing there that it's way more complex and that there's it's a much bigger, grander story. But I think. At its core, it starts at home. You know, like all the problems that you have in life start at home. You know, like that's the that's the root of of pretty much all the the garbage, the shadow that we all have, and it's just a matter of how we express that decides how we interact with the world outside of our home, and that's what gives us the other experiences that we have. But it all starts at home, and. I think to kind of put the cherry on top of, of the, the kind of metaphor and what really sealed me thinking that it was Mazes, Kylo, and Carrs is Rey metaphorically is when they go and meet Nachmed, um, which was a very interesting character. But he says a line, um, I don't remember exactly what Carr asks him. He, he might ask him, you know, aren't you a Jedi or, or something of that nature? And he says, I used to be just like Han Solo does in Force Awakens. And when they go find him, what is he doing? He's hiding on a remote planet, waiting to die.
1: Just like Yoda. And Luke. Also, can we just talk about how freaking, can we talk about how jealous I am of these Force users to be like, ah, I lived a good life. All right, I'll tap out now. yeah (laughs) right way what the heck Um, but yeah that's that's an interesting comparison I actually thought Nakmed was one of the best characters in this book he Um, solidified it being
0: in the top of of my book list
1: yeah yeah because Karin and Maze are great Um, what's his face the droid too I actually really I've really been enjoying a lot of these droids on RZ7 um, he was great, but mad. I thought was the most complex character, and that's really what I like. You know, Carr was great, Mace was great. They were a lot of fun. They were really enjoyable. They were very relatable. But I think you and I, it seems like we can both agree that they are pretty simplified. Uh, they weren't overly complex. It, you could pick a, a list of adjectives. And they would probably all be pretty synonymous when describing them. But Nachmed was awesome, I thought. And seeing his struggle, seeing why he made the choices that he did and what this all meant for him was really, really wild to me. It's it's a place we haven't, as readers, gotten to go before.
0: Yeah, and I mean, you you get maze and and car going there and car you know is the ray going to find him and then maze is the kylo following after but he while he is for me a metaphor for the mentors of the sequel trilogy they do a good job of making him his own character which is a difficult thing to do when you're making those connections. And then also you have the whole love and family situation like Anakin, like there's just a lot of, of connections that you can make to things that have happened in star Wars before, but they give you enough of him to make you understand or to let you understand what he's been through, but also for you to go, what the hell has he been through? Like there's some serious baggage there. Um, I mean, you don't go to a planet to die to wait to you know to die because things are are peachy keen. But um, I, I really found just this idea of him out there surviving on his own because his love for his family was so strong that he did the opposite of what Anakin did. You know, Anakin's love for his family was so strong that it became toxic. And even Luke, Luke's love for his family became so toxic for him that, you know, they they go down these paths that, you know, the rest of the family can't follow them on. And while Nachmed does go down a path the rest of his family can't follow him on, it's one of self-sacrifice and one of being willing to realize my story is over and I need to allow these other people to have this new story, which I think is something that we're going to kind of see with Luke and his force ghost in rise of Skywalker.
1: I mean, not even just that, but, The fact that he's able to make these incredibly selfless decisions and he carries through with it, even though it obviously really hurts him not to see his daughter, not to see his wife anymore. He does all of this without ever truly understanding what happened with the Jedi. He, He does all of this thinking, yeah, maybe the Empire was right, but he knows it's not his place anymore. So to see him step aside without that understanding of, of, you know, he wasn't part of this corrupt order. This didn't go down the way he thought it did, but it doesn't seem to really bother him that much. He really, and truly is one of the the few characters who puts their original family. We talk so much about found family, but this is just, you know, through and through blood family he puts them first. He doesn't necessarily worry about that larger aspect of what's going on in the galaxy. It's just, this is my tribe. I'm going to protect them and I'm going to do what's right by them.
0: Yeah. And I mean, that's something that we haven't really seen very often in these, uh, stories, you know, I mean, I guess to an extent we've seen it with the skywalkers, um, But they're so dysfunctional, like not all four. Yeah,
1: not this selflessly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Like, well, and and considering the fact that like the five Skywalkers that we've seen have never actually been in the same place at the same time. So it's a very weird dynamic. But one thing that he said really stood out to me. It's on page 368. He said the force didn't go away just because you were no longer pledged to it. And it didn't only touch those who'd made pledges to it in the first place. And I thought that was just a very succinct way to describe the, the relationship that the Jedi need to have with the Force, right? That's kind of what Luke starts to teach Rey is you don't own this power and you're not, you don't have these powers because you gave yourself to it. You have this because you're the right person to do it, like the Force chose you.
1: Wow, that is, that is something. And I'm really trying to to think of other characters who have emulated that well, so well. And oddly enough, it's it's no Jedi, really. It, it is Rey, not. it is Haas. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and
0: I, I mean, I have a crackpot theory that I came up with once uh, the Jedi Master Poe Dameron stuff was going around that the rise of skywalker and guys i have no inside knowledge like i've literally watched the trailer twice so i'm just spitballing here but that the ray and kylo will go into the force as i've mentioned before and somehow everyone will end up with the force and we just have a whole bunch of like jedi doing everything stories after the sequel trilogy it's like you know basically the old old republic um, it's not going to happen, but it kind of got me thinking about that idea when he mentioned that, you know, it doesn't only touch those who've made pledges to it in the first place. Like it's a higher power. It chooses those people to, who have the capacity to do it.
1: That is a theory.
0: <laughs> it's it's a very like is- crazy theory.
1: But, you know, I mean, I like the concept of it for sure. I'm not sure I can really envision exactly what it would look like to go into the force and and let it reach out and touch everyone. But I really like the concept of it. And I think that this is this is that exact theme with what Nachmet is going to. You know, this is something that has to be universal and we have to understand that. It can't just be here's the select groups. And, and it's such a shame because I actually really, maybe we should, if we have some time in the next two weeks before things get too crazy, um, to go into the story of Jedi fallen order, because I think that that story shows some absolutely amazing, amazing examples of this. You know, there's one part where Cal Kestis is on death and he has to essentially, um, you know, spoiler alert, minor, 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 spoiler alert. But he has to work with a um, Dathomirian witch, and they kind of talk about this. They talk about what these powers mean and the responsibility given it, given to you, and what it means to be a Jedi versus just being able to someone who can use the Force. Um, but that's that story. I think does an amazing job going into what it means to not only use the force, but to be a Jedi as well and what those differences are.
0: Well, and I think that in rise of Skywalker or at least explicitly in the ancillary material, you, there should be something that, that gets the the galaxy at large to understand the force because you always have our heroes believing in the force, you know, and being all gung ho about it. But when you go back to the prequels and and then later, you know, into the empire, there's not, not everybody believes in the force, you know? Um, It's a very select group who have this ability to, to wield it, to see it manifest that come to, you know, believe in it. And then there are those, you know, who have seen the force in action, like, uh, you know, then there's the Chirits, there's the um, Lor Santeca characters like that that worship it. But when we're talking about billions and billions of beings, um, there's a question of how many of those people actually know the Force and understand the Force. And I think it would be compelling if you got to a point where whatever Ray and Kylo are able to do, it allows the galaxy at large to have an understanding of the force and maybe not be force wielders, but maybe to the extent of like a cheer it where they can have a sense of the force, you know, um and, and come to mm-hmm. not necessarily worship it, but have a, a respect for it in the way that like cheerit and Lor Senteca do.
1: Yeah, and I think that's kind of why, you know, assuming that we're all correct and why we got that little glimpse of the turret um i think that's why they included him and why it's important to keep him included in stories like this and his connection because it it probably is equally as powerful just tapped into it in a different way
0: i lost my mind at that moment like that was
1: wild that was really wild i was like there's
0: no and i was like rereading it going no i'm making this up and I think I Is might have even anyone? texted you. I texted you. I was like, have you gotten yes, to this page yes.
1: yet? Yes, we did the page. We like, were like, who's going to say it first?
0: Oh, man. That blew my mind. That, it was not quite on the level, but but in the same ballpark as when Leia puts on Padme's dress in Princess of Alderaan. I just got goosebumps. I, did, I wasn't oh, crying. So but... So bad. So we've been talking a lot about the force because this book, I mean it's called Force Collector so it has a lot to do with the force and I know we've talked, especially like when we talked about Master and Apprentice, what balance of the force means and Qui-Gon um, and Rail present a particular argument for it there um, there's all kinds of points of view on what balance of the force means but one of the things in Master and Apprentice that stood out is the prophecy of the chosen one. And it said that I'm sure you have this tattooed on your body somewhere that um, through the chosen one's lineage, basically, there would be lasting balance. And I made the argument that because the first order rose, and now that even more so, that palpatine's back, like we don't have lasting balance. and that rise of Skywalker, should not just be the punctuation on the Skywalker saga, but it should be kind of the end of the timeline because it should bring that eternal balance. So I've been thinking a lot about, like, how how does that happen? Like, how do you get that balance? What does that balance mean? And through the lens of Force Collector, I'm wondering, is balance simply us knowing our place in the galaxy, knowing our role, knowing what our story is, and the Skywalkers are just a manifestation of that?
1: I mean, I I've said for some time that I think when we talk about balance of the force, it really is more an internal thing. And, yeah, basically it's this personification of it. Because I, I just can't wrap my head around what balance actually would mean, how you bring balance to an entire galaxy, and how it's sustainable. I really do think it's something meant to be individual in each person. And that's why the Kylo Ray relationship is so important because it is that yin, yin and yang. But, I mean, yeah, to, to answer your question, I do think that it is more just the the Skywalkers are the personification.
0: Well, and Ray and Kylo's journey is very internal. I think that's part of the issue um, in some people understanding the the real meaning of the sequel trilogy is it's such a, an internal journey where Anakin's and Luke's journeys I think were a little more explicit and um, I personally hate the idea of balance being equal light and equal dark because George Lucas was very clear on the fact that the dark side is toxic um, and it is not beneficial and that the balance means the light um, being victorious, and that's why balance was achieved at the end of Return of the Jedi. I think that part of it, though, I mean, I've mentioned one of my other crackpot theories. I I spend way too much time thinking about this stuff, and it just it's like for every one good idea I have, it's like nine or ten bad ideas. But part of <laughs> my uh, crackpot theory is, you know, the dark side of the force being eradicated. I don't really think that's going to happen. Uh, but I do think that you have to have an acknowledgement that the dark side is there. Um, I, 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 would really love to see Kylo get redeemed, um, into being Ben solo, but accepting the broken part of himself and accepting that, that, that is part of his story. Um, and that being part of what brings balance. And I think that's something that Carr was able to do here um, is he was able to accept the the things that were not going to be in his life. That he wasn't going to be, you know, the next Skywalker gallivanting around the galaxy, saving, you know, the day. But that instead his job was to be, to to carry the torch for the next person that did and one of the reasons I really wouldn't want a sequel to Force Collector is because that's such a nice conclusion to the story and I think it gives a good message of accepting who you are because I know that's like for me personally that's a thing that I've really struggled with like growing up you know I I had a tough childhood and so I wanted to be rich and famous and or be an athlete or all these different dreams of things that would make me super successful and if you told me all the things i'm gonna have now i would have been like that doesn't sound great at 30 but it's extremely fulfilling because i figured out what my role is in and i i feel like i'm coming to a sense of balance so i really connected with Carr on that and i really think that that's a theme that could be extremely prevalent prevalent rather um in in rise of skywalker
1: Yeah. And I guess, again, this is kind of the the boiled down version of it, because I think really the biggest difference is it was easier for Carr to accept because, again, he never thought he would be this Jedi. He was trying to figure out what the Jedi were, if they even existed. Um, Whereas Kylo, he would have to come to terms with all of this, plus everything he's done in the past, whereas Carr hasn't necessarily done anything great or terrible. Ray, on the other hand, didn't have these big dreams and ambitions of being a Jedi only to come to terms with that when it happened. It was actually quite the opposite. She thought she was going to live this quiet life and eventually find her family and her family would come back. And now she needs to step up into that big grand role. Um, so this is this is, again, kind of the, the more watered down version And one thing I just wish we got a little bit more of in this story was that complexity in it and seeing Carr really, really struggle. I don't think we ever saw Carr struggle. We pitied him. We had empathy for him. But, you know, they didn't put him in a tree and throw rocks at him by any means.
0: Yeah, and I mean, if if this book hadn't come out, literally like a a month before rise of skywalker i don't think i would have had these same
1: connections connections
0: Yeah. yeah um and i think it would have been much more of a crash of fate style book which remind reminding the audience here that's not a slander i absolutely adore crash of fate um but it like we said it's a it's a cotton candy book that is you know it's star wars but it it's not Star Wars where you, you have to be caught up in all this. And and this is a, a kind of a nice middle ground between like the Crash of Fate where you can just like forget the bigger story and just enjoy a Star Wars story and Lost Stars where you are very much in the heat of the, the Star Wars saga and, and you need to realize that connection. This one kind of splits the difference there. And so I think it'll be a book that I definitely revisit. Um, Again, the YA books are just, they're knocking them out of the park, in my opinion. Like, you have the heavy hitters like Lost Stars, Leia, Princess of Alderaan, for me personally, Ahsoka, even though I know it's not a super heavy hitter. But, I mean, now you got Force Collector, Crash of Fate, Most Wanted. I'm really looking forward to going back and revisiting. Um, Queen Shadow, we're now getting, uh, what's the new one called? queen's fate or something of that nature
1: oh what is the new one called queen something
0: it's a queen it's like doing a or thing or it's a queen possessing <laughs> a thing because it's a, a, a apostrophe s yes. um so she owns something but the point being if you if you're not checking out these young adult novels because they're young adult novels you're really missing out on Arguably some of the most important lore that we're getting. You know, I, I think about books like Catalyst and even books that I love, like A New Dawn and Inferno Squad and Phasma. We're not getting as much. We're not really getting into so much of the Force lore itself. Um, and even to an extent, we're not necessarily getting a lot into the bigger story. Um, but these YA novels, I mean, you're getting a much better understanding of the characters. And then you're getting these amazing new characters like, you know, Carr and Maze and, and the people we met in Crash of Fate. Like, is it? Uh, I sound like a broken record, but basically what I'm saying is, guys, check out the YA novels. If you want to check out a YA novel, we have Crash of Fate for auction signed by the amazing Zerata Cordova uh, that you could get your hands on and read it and then put it on your shelf and be like, wow that's a really good
1: book. (laughs) It's a very good impression of what
0: someone would say. (laughs) I I mean, that's what I said. I said, wow, it's a really good book. So
1: there's, there's no doubt that the YA novels are fantastic and they are important. And most of all, they are thought provoking. I don't think you, you can necessarily put any YA novel book uh, in Star Wars down and, And it not sit with you at least for a little bit. They really are thought provoking. They're relatable. They, to me, the only difference is just a slightly bigger font.
0: Yeah. I mean, basically, like, I could very much see, like, Inferno Squad, for example. I could very much see that being a YA novel, Um, just written a a tad bit differently, you know, maybe a little less gruesome, but like, books like A New Dawn. I mean, a new dawn. If it's written at a YA level, I mean, again, yeah, it's just a bigger font, and so I'm looking forward to seeing what the next installments are going to be in the YA novels, and uh, we will uh, we'll see. I guess after Rise of Skywalker, but let's kind of close out with uh, with how we like to bring the show to an end, which is. If you got to meet these characters or you got a continuation of the Force Collector story, what medium would you like it to be in and, and what would you like to see?
1: Okay. Um, this is actually, oddly enough, one of the few times I think I would pick a book. Um, and as a prequel, actually, I would really would like to learn a little bit more about Nahmed and find out more about his earlier journey, either as a young Jedi, as a Padawan, or um, what it was like when he had to make that decision to go into hiding. So mine isn't so much a continuation, but I think this is the first time I am picking a book and a prequel.
0: Um, I would pick a comic series, uh, in the vein of star Wars adventures that is actually a prequel. Also that goes with Carr on his adventures to collect the things that he's collected. Um, being a big fan of history i i really like those connections to the past you know i really would i really liked seeing him you know with chariot's uh uh staff and i think it would be really cool to kind of get a, a closer look at his collection you know and maybe he's got Kanan's mask in there or maybe he's got something you know from Thrawn's office in rebels i just think there could be some fun little stories to tell there. Um and, and Star Wars Adventures would be the perfect medium to do that. But we'll we'll have to see. I mean, we don't know a lot of what's coming after Rise of Skywalker. I feel like they're holding back a lot because Rise of Skywalker is, of course, going to be a game changer. And uh, at the time of this release, it's going to be one week away, guys. Oh, my God. I don't even know what real life is. Oh my God. I'm, like, to the so point weird. where I'm starting to stress about it and lose sleep over it and...
1: Yeah. You know, I was, I was actually saying to my sister down in Galaxy's Edge, though, like, this is so much nicer than when Revenge of the Sith came out, because I will never, ever forget that bittersweet, like, pit of my stomach feeling walking into it, because I was just like, it's over. After this, it's over. What do I do now? I've invested so much of my time and energy into these three movies like what now i was like now at least as upset as i am to be leaving ray and poe and finn i'm still really excited because i know that now we get more books about them now we get more continuing stories about them but i also have all these other fantastic live action and cartoons to look forward to
0: star wars is forever Star Wars is forever and so is Clashing Sabers at least until it's not but for now Clashing Sabers is forever guys because we just opened a nonprofit, and it's super exciting so make sure you go over um, and check that out Uh, click on that auction link see if there's anything in there that you would like uh, to get in your collection or maybe you know a a friend or family member who would like it in their collection and it would be a nice little uh, present for them that, should, that will be in the show notes, of course. Um, so, will all of our other links, including our Twitter at clashing sabers, clashing sabers network at gmail.com? We would really love it. It would be a great Christmas present. Like, even a, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. An even better Christmas present than Rise of Skywalker. If you, Whoa. if you, you listener, the one that I'm talking to right now, no, I'm not talking to the other guy. I am talking to you. You go leave us. A rating and review that would be great and send it to us because i can only see itunes and i really want to see all the other ones because you guys are fantastic and we love you that is all Lindsay. go
1: all right you can find me on twitter at the lady of lore you can find me on our facebook group of course where we absolutely love chatting with all of you guys um, again, how lucky am I that I finally got to meet our good friend Michelle face-to-face down in Florida. The timing could not have been better. We were literally staying at the same hotel. Um, but I love making connections with you guys just like that right in our Facebook group. And then, of course, letting that carry over into real life now. Um, so find me there. But most importantly, check out our auction. We are so excited about the work we are about to uh, do with different schools so the more you can give or even just the the way you can maybe spread just be a word of mouth is always helpful as well um, so Twitter, Facebook and of course our auction and non-profit
0: alright well until after Rise of Skywalker keep reading keep writing but whatever you do go bid on the auction guys oh wait no sorry <laughs> Sorry, don't burn the sacred text. That's, that's how it goes.
1: That's the show. That's
0: the show. That's the show. All right. I guess we're done. We're done here. Let's go see Rise of Skywalker. So close. All right. By this point, you know how this goes. Their stuff, their stuff. Our stuff, our stuff. Not associated with Lucasfilm. Kathleen Kennedy, give me a call. Dave Filoni, I'm there if you need me. Our thoughts? There are thoughts. They don't reflect Lucasfilm or anybody else associated with this stuff. So if you don't like it, we're sorry. If you do like it, great. Let us know either way on iTunes, on whatever podcatcher you're listening to us on. Rate us, review us, share us, tell your friends about us. And it, whatever you do, just don't burn the sacred text.